Happy Monday, my loves, and welcome back to the One Take Wonder podcast by the Hot Weird Girl. This is the Hot Weird Girl in question, Alexia, and you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Hot Weird Girl. That's girl with the zero instead of an I. New episodes come out every single Monday night, but late Monday night. It's like the late night show, but a lot better. And if you like this podcast, please do me a huge favor and rate it five stars on whatever listening platform you're using, particularly if you're listening to this on Apple for podcasts, then I would love if you left a written review. It helps me so much. It continues to help this podcast be so successful. And it just also means a lot to me to see the written feedback that I get from you guys. As always, if you're listening on Spotify, then you can leave your feedback in the topic suggestion box. And if you're not, feel free to DM me because I really do take your podcast suggestions to heart like this episode today. So let's get into it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love the internet. I love the opportunities that the internet has given me. A year ago today, I was gearing up to make my vision board and I knew that I wanted to launch my podcast and eventually branch out on YouTube, perhaps even go on Substack. And it's all possible through the community that I've curated on TikTok. So believe me when I say as someone who spends a lot of time on the internet and is sort of leading both an in-person and a digital life, that I can't talk about the beauties of the internet enough. But there's also a huge downside. And I think that's that people don't realize that everything about the internet today, everything about our algorithms is designed to keep you lonely and disenfranchised. So everything about social media is highly engineered to be completely and utterly addictive. It's not in your head that you can't stop scrolling on apps, on the apps, and it's actually completely by design. So what happens is Meta, that's the company that owns Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, they all within their departments have a team of psychologists and designers who basically converge to increase the dopamine and the pleasure centers in your brain by using the app and design the app around that. So that was a little convoluted. I'm looking at my TikTok app now and I'll just describe to you what you probably see every day. Starting on the upper left, there's a button to see your favorite creators go live, who you're following, your friends, and finally your For You page. There's all sorts of prominent buttons on the right side of the screen to follow, like, comment, share, and save videos by creators. At the bottom, you have your panel that goes from home to shopping to creating your own video to looking at your inbox and finally designing your own profile. Notably, nowhere on this app is there actually a button to exit from the app, nor is there a button to exit from the app on Twitter or Facebook or um, YouTube, any of those apps. And while it can seem like a design feature because both iPhones and Androids have either manual buttons or ways that you can swipe down on the screen to dismiss, you know, the tab that you have open. It's also a subtle way of tricking in your brain, of tricking your brain into thinking that 
the only option is to continue scrolling. And even though it sounds laughable, it's actually very powerful. The other thing is that these colors on the apps are designed to light up the pleasure centers in your brain. So TikTok is designed to be as visually appealing as possible and keep you coming back for more. And it keeps you coming back for more by creating probably the most sophisticated algorithm we have right now to show you content that you're the most interested in. Now, when I say the most interested in, I'm not talking about whether you personally like or dislike the content. That doesn't really matter to TikTok's algorithm. What matters is that you've interacted with it in some way. The algorithm is noting exactly how many milliseconds your eyes give attention to a video before you scroll up. It measures your comment, the length of the comment, the enthusiasm of a comment, which is measured by, you know, all capitals, emojis, how many times you left a comment, whether you favorited it, whether you liked it, whether you went to the creator's profile, um, whether you look at similarly suggested videos. And if you interact with a video, then it'll show you more and more content from that specific genre, whatever the algorithm has sorted that genre of content into. It's why if you look something up like a shrimp cooking video on the TikTok search feature, then you'll get a bunch more videos about cooking shrimp because the algorithm thinks this is what she wants and this is what will keep her on the app. And if you're wondering why they want you on the app so badly, the answer should be fairly obvious. It's money, both in the traditional way. Each platform makes revenue by you know, sharing or showing you advertisements by taking a cut of anything sold on its platform, such as the TikTok and Instagram shop, and also by mining your data to sell it to nefarious companies, probably shadow organizations, et cetera, et cetera. I would argue that the bulk of the money is actually coming from this data mining. And that's also why it's so important that the algorithm learns your likes and dislikes, because it makes that sophistication of the data, all the more valuables that they can sell. So every day that you use an app like TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, any social media app nowadays, including the innocuous ones like Pinterest, which is so fun and cute and is also selling your data to really the highest bidder. It makes them money. So it's absolutely in their best interest to continue to get you to engage with content that keeps you as online as possible because an offline persona doesn't make them money. And we often think about this phenomena from the creator's perspective. I can tell you as a content creator myself that I absolutely understand which videos are likely to go viral. I think I've said this before, but pretty much anytime you talk about celebrity or if you're one of the first people to job, jump on sort of a hot topic, like this week it would be talking about Keith Lee in Atlanta, hairstylist, um, you know, perhaps the latest drama with like Zeus affiliate celebrities, those are all guaranteed to go viral. And so is outrage farming. Just saying something ridiculous or simply doing a funny, snappy commentary on some... Why did I say it like that? Commentary? Ugh. Anyway, leaving like a funny or a snippy response to commentary, um, will also get you views. And so I think we tend to think about it in sort of like, if I can either be outrageous or being seen as taken down the outrageous, then people will interact with it. But also part of the reason why it tends to blow up is because the algorithm, and I'm not just speaking about TikTok, although I'm using TikTok as an example right now, knows that putting these very divisive black and white takes, takes that lack nuance or a lot of deep critical thinking on your For You page is likely to put you stuck into this like mental rut. 
And the mental rut is sort of caused by the fact that you are consuming a lot of black and white content, like I said, with no nuance. The videos that I make that are thoughtful, insightful, require a lot of nuance and exist in a sort of liminal gray area. Those aren't the videos that ever crack more than 30,000 likes, despite how many followers I've ever amassed at one time. Like I can tell you, it is very, very rare that a video that's very complex does well. It doesn't mean that I don't treasure those videos. And honestly, those are the videos I like making the most and the videos that I'm most proud of. But it just means that creators understand that that's not what the algorithm prioritizes. The algorithm prioritizes videos that keep you divisive. It's actually not very woo-woo to say that like the algorithm wants you to see videos categorizing men and women very broadly because it makes you angry and therefore continues to make them revenue on the app. But it has real tangible life effects is fundamentally the internet is not real life. No matter how much we try to parallel the complexities of in-person communication and social dynamics on the internet, it doesn't and will probably never fully work because humans need body language. That's why the moniker chronically online is an insult and a funny one at that because you can tell when someone has spent too much time on the internet. I'm dragging myself a little bit here, but you can absolutely tell when someone's ideas have been shaped by engaging in typically short form content where the research is spoon fed to them by an authoritative figure, whether that person is an influencer, an intellectual commentator, again, this is a self-drag, um, versus actually going out there and reading the literature and forming opinions based on real life situations. And the more entrenched you are with internet culture and internet mannerisms, the more people in real life, people whose entire social dynamics don't revolve around the internet, will start to pull away from you. And then the more you turn to the internet, I'll give you a somewhat innocuous example. Online, if you see a group of hot people, you can say choo-choo and everyone will understand that you want those people to run a train on you. And it's seen as funny and harmless, even though you're leaving that post on a complete stranger's profile. In real life, if you walked up to a group of hot people and said, run a train on me, you would get fucking maced. And you would deserve it because that's a very weird thing to do. Because the internet provides this comfortable boundary where all parties are sort of facilitating interactions through a screen that can be monitored and blocked. And there's like an appropriate third party, aka the social media platform, that can come in and regulate when things get too hectic. But in real life, if you walk up to someone and you say, hey, you're so hot and I want all of your friends to fuck me right now, there is really no third party other than the police who will certainly take you away in handcuffs for that weird ass antisocial behavior, but it's very funny online. So it's sort of a cycle, right? But a key component to this cycle is understanding that the more online you are, the more profitable you are. So these algorithms are desperate to do anything to keep you online. We've established that, right? We've established that you're not supposed to interact with any sort of meaningful content. Um, but the best way to get people online is to simply make their addiction their source of the loneliness. So if you are chronically online, if you can't get off of your telephone and interact with people in real life, if it's becoming harder to interact with people in real life because you're absorbing all of these very strict dating rules and social protocols, and it's making your family and friends, people who aren't 
sharing the same algorithm with you because that's another issue. The algorithms are so highly tailored and dependent to what the algorithm to what you know the data collection knows about your specific personality there's really no guarantee that your friends and family are seeing the same thing as you right for example my boyfriend tonight and i we just like pulled up our for you pages and mine is all like makeup cats particularly that genre of like really cool creators who can do prosthetics and bloody makeup and his is like football and political videos we have very similar interests and very aligned lives but our profiles are so vastly different that oftentimes i have no idea who he's talking about when he talks about his favorite creators and he doesn't really know mine it was by sheer coincidence that we ended up well i guess he ended up seeing one of my videos on the internet it's actually not how we met that's a different story for a different day but it's a fun fact just thought i'd share um and so you're not even absorbing like the same internet culture as your in real life peers you're making these online peers and these mutuals and these friends and i really do cherish some of the people i've met online particularly the ones that i've been able to form like offline friendships with but you are in a sense isolated in your own digital internet bubble well not in a sense you actually are i feel like i'm talking in generalities here so i want to hone in on a specific example and what better to use than dating advice because you guys know that i fucking hate it um dating advice on the internet is designed to keep you a consumer of content and you are the best consumer of dating content when you are perpetually single someone wrote in and asked me um, on the feature what my opinion of roster dating is i can't tell you that you're going to find a serious fulfilling relationship by bouncing around from five to six different people who you formed completely shallow attachments to that just doesn't make sense it doesn't happen on paper and both in real life and on the internet i've observed that people who keep casually rotating a different trio or even more of partners um it's not sustainable it always inevitably blows up and you never end up with what you went into the situation with which was just trying to find a variety of partners that may sound a little old-fashioned and it's not meant to be judgmental it just sort of is what it is that this roster thing is really for facilitating shallow connections and i wouldn't recommend it if you're trying to find something deep and meaningful and yet it is some of the most common advice proliferated by these dating gurus because you're not more likely to buy their course when you actually go on thoughtful hinge dates. You know what I mean? If you are training by absorbing, you know, femininity garbage or alpha male garbage or even just the stuff that doesn't parade as being you know any sort of brand of internet lunacy but is more just like, hey, I'm gonna teach you girl who's never had luck with dating how to do it. And I think it's important to restate my opinion that I really think love is luck and that there are things you can do to maximize your odds, but fundamentally it's completely, there's no formula to falling in love as unfair as that is. But it's easy and it's comforting to look at some girl on TikTok with a list drafted in the notes app on how you can find your Prince Charming just in time for cuffing season so that you won't be alone on Valentine's Day. But is she giving you advice that's actually going to work or is she giving you advice that will keep you working towards, towards her end goal of more followers? I guarantee you that all dating creators understand that the more divisive and outrageous their content is, the more views they get. And so it 
it disincentivizes them from perhaps approaching dating content that would be nuanced and meaningful and actually beneficial for people because it's not what gets the clicks and views. And when you want to succeed as a creator, you have to, especially on the traditional platforms, not so much when you have like your own, you know, I would argue that YouTube is a little different. That's a whole different beast, but especially when you're trying to appeal for like Twitter and TikTok, especially um, and Facebook influencers, you really kind of have to play into what the algorithm wants or just hope that you're building up a fan base enough that rocks with you to find you even if your videos aren't on the For You page. One particular form of dating content advice that I think is really isolating is people taking their own very convoluted, horrible dating experiences and passing them off as a generality or something that you can learn from. I've said it before in this podcast that I think it's unwise to attempt to learn from every single person's relationship breakups, especially since in another episode I stated that breakups aren't failures. But I think it's very interesting how one girl will have a horrible experience and tell her story on TikTok. And that tic- that, that story is valid and meant to be told. But then we'll sort of go so far as to say, and in general, this is why all men are such and such. And then people are actually internalizing her own experiences, which happen in her part of the country, to her as a specific person, circumstances that may not be replicable to you, and absorbing them as law, saying like, well, this is why I would never let a man do X, Y, and Z, or like, be cautious when a man does X, Y, and Z. And I cannot emphasize enough how much that outside of learning the red flags for abuse, what doesn't work for one person may work for you and what may be abhorrent for another person may be your prince charming and it's hard to figure that out unless you sample it for yourself but it becomes this almost oh where's the girl with the list oh here's all the things that can go wrong and so people are becoming very jaded and bitter and disenfranchised off of lived experiences that aren't even theirs because again the algorithm encourages you to take on other people's life experiences as if you've lived those own experiences and while it can be important to listen into stories told, I would argue that it's like reading a really good book. And I say this with love because I was an English major, but it's like reading a really, really good piece of fiction and then forgetting that boundary where you're forgetting it's fiction and that it's a contrived story and it may not be wholly applicable to your life. Not that there aren't important lessons that you can't extract from it, but like you don't live in that book universe. Similarly, like you don't live in that universe of that creator and you don't live in the TikTok universe. You live in the real world in whatever city you live in. And I don't know if it's worth it to give up on love based on like what some girl in Arkansas went through and you live in fucking Arizona or Alaska. I'm thinking of all the 50 state songs today, clearly. But that is, I think, a really great example of how you end up isolated in real life. And so you keep turning to the internet for your solution, not realizing that like a good cleanse from the internet, like taking a tolerance break every now and then would be really good for your mental and it would help you reshape the framework of the world. I'll give you another example. TikTok and other social media platforms thrive by categorizing everything and distilling it into very easily digestible stereotypes. Are you the black girl with a bad wig? Are you this type of girl? Are you that? In reality, you're probably not any sort of clockable stereotype, but a complex person with a bunch of meaningful experiences that have uniquely shaped your perspective and how you move through this world. 
but that is a complicated and long sentence and it's harder to sell you products based on that identity. Instead, we'll tell you you're this type of girl and that you can clock this type of person by that. And then you move through the, the world expecting certain experiences because they feed into a specific aesthetic and find yourself disappointed when real life is not as comforting or formulaic as the memes that you absorb so you keep turning to those memes as a confirmation of how the world should work and of course there are more consequences to this than just your own loneliness the january 6th attacks in 2021 would not have happened without the social movement the online social movement of QAnon, which essentially started as right-wing facebook memes and is now threatening to completely destroy democracy by tapping by tapping into the racial animus um, and bigotry held by so many white americans in this country that people who had never met before who weren't you know, planning a coup in the traditional sense, but were gearing up via Facebook and other, you know, right-wing social media platforms to attempt to storm the Capitol building of the United States with impunity because they really thought they were going to get away with it. And you could argue that many of them basically did. So it has real negative social implications when you can continue to be radicalized online. And if you'd like to hear a separate podcast, because I do think the QAnon movement and just how Americans in general have become radicalized off it. You know what? That would be a really good follow-up segment to this. You don't have to ask. I'm going to do it. There will have to be an inevitable part two to this um, episode. But that is, I think, the first example that comes to mind when I think about, like, what are the consequences of putting people in these rabbit holes where the algorithm will just push anything on you because it makes them money, 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 and revenue. And it's a fucking coup of the United States government. But back to the more micro level, it's just a complete loss of, I think, the experiences that you could be having. I started this podcast by saying that I was leading a digital life, and notably, I do see TikTok as something that's separate from my real life, just because, I don't know, there's something that can't be replicated about making a brand new friend at a party or having really interesting conversations with strangers or like the kooky, weird life experiences that happen when you're actually out in the world and not viewing the world through your phone, which is something, you know, no bigger than like eight inches. That's what she said. (laughs) I'll leave you with one final example and I'll take it back to dating, something to digest on this week, and that's dating apps. Dating apps could not make money. They could not incentivize you to pay for their upgraded versions of the platform. They could not incentivize you to spend so much time on the platform hosting conversations and meeting people and, again, mining and selling your data if they worked. Article after article after article has come out discussing the fact that the algorithm learns your preferences based on like your first couple days, even weeks, up to months of usage, and then takes your specific type and hides them behind a paywall so that you're essentially not going to meet your Prince Charming unless you pay the what, like $10.99 per rose on Hinge, or you have to pay for Bumble. But the free 
methodology of the apps as they exist are not meant to give you your sweetheart. Now, I'm not saying that you can't meet your sweetheart by using the free version of the apps, but just that the algorithm itself is designed to make it that much harder by keeping the people that it sort of can tell, at least algorithmically, if that's a word, who you really belong with by forcing you to pay for it, or at least you'll pay for it with all the data that they'll end up mining because you spent so much time on it and absorbing the ads and the blah, 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 because I know Tinder runs a lot of ads. Those apps wouldn't be around if they worked. They wouldn't be so popular if they were working for so many people. And I think there's obviously something to be said about human connection is just I don't think difficult to facilitate, but the apps don't make it easier, especially since people act so weird. But it's definitely not helped by the fact that you're not supposed to be meeting the love of your life if you haven't shelled out for it. And that's just a very small piece of internet usage that people use in their day to day. So if you know that it's difficult, again, algorithmically, and designed to be challenging for you to meet the person that you want to fall in love with, that the app desperately knows that you want, particularly around this time of year as we approach the holidays and then sort of kick off wedding season in the spring, what other elements of human desire, lust, friendship, connection is the internet locking away from you because ultimately it is not a venue for connection and communication but merely a means of control because you are a product being sold and milked for everything that you've got okay you know what i lied i said this was the last example but this is the one take wonder podcast and i'm gonna keep it going the weird ass friendship advice that you see particularly on places like twitter like asking your friends to help you move is abusive or your friend shouldn't be able to trauma dump on you aka talk about their feelings all of that is designed so that you will continue to abide by weird internet rules for friendship that only work with people you've met online and not the people in real life which again keeps you coming back to the internet i just i had to get that off of my chest because it's something that I think about all the time this idea of like hey I don't have space or capacity for your friendship right now and how if you said some that to like one of your closest friends in real life they would rightfully curse you out because that's demeaning and respectful disrespectful 